SAFM Sports Wrap. On SFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Hello and welcome to another uh, edition of SFM Sports Wrap. Delighted to be with you as we uh, talk sport to the top of the hour. Plenty of sport to talk about, including some success in the Nedbank Golf Challenge. Of course, Brendan Grace, successful and uh, victorious. Wonderful to, uh, to see Brendan Grace as South African winner. Uh, but we're not going to be challenging Brendan Grace. He's, gonna, he's heading off to Dubai at the moment uh, to, uh, to campaign in the very last event of the European Tour season. Uh, we are going to catch up with somebody, though, who did fare rather well in the, uh, in the team. It's a little bit of a surprise, but uh, we'll, we'll chat to him later. We're also going to talk about Final Fun and we're going to talk uh, SA Rugby following that horrendous defeat to Ireland. But I'm going to start off with some sports news for you, football news. Italy in a state of tension as they bid to qualify for the 2018 FIFA World Cup and they take on Sweden, says uh, goalkeeper Gianluigi Buffon, what could be his final competitive international. The Azzurri lost the first leg 1-0 and will fail to reach the World Cup for the first time since 1958 if they don't win at the San Siro tonight. Buffon said, I'm tense, but it's the right amount of tension. The 39-year-old Juventus goalkeeper who's retiring at the end of the season will win his 175th cap against the Swedes. The winner of the tie will become the 29th team to qualify for next year's event in Russia. Further afield, Sadio Mane has returned to Liverpool following international duty after Senegal confirmed he's aggravated his hamstring injury. Mane spent a month on the sidelines after sustaining the injury with the Taranga Lions in October before returning to club action in the 4-1 win over West Ham on November the 4th. He was man of the match in Senegal's World Cup qualifying win over South Africa on Friday and was set to be available for tomorrow's return fixture now a dead rubber though but the Senegal Football Federation has confirmed Mane's return to Anfield for medical treatment. Rugby News experienced 8th man Dwayne Vermeulen has been called up to the Springbok squad as replacement for injured tight head Kuni Wurstazen. Wurstazen underwent a scan in Dublin after Saturday's loss before flying home and the results showed that he has sustained medical collateral and anterior cruciate ligament damage which re- requires surgery and uh, an extended period of time out of the game. Vermeulen has been capped 37 times by the box, joins the uh, Springbok squad at their base in Paris today from French club Toulon. And uh, just finally, some golf uh, news for you. Of course, Brandon Gray is jumping 13 places from 42nd to 29th in the world golf rankings following his victory in the Nenbank Golf Challenge yesterday. He's now the second highest South African ranked golfer behind Louis Wurstazen, who is 22nd. But he's off to Dubai tonight uh, because he's ninth heading into the final tournament of the season, which starts in Dubai on Thursday. SAFM Sports Wrap. SAFM South Africa's news and information leader. Let's talk rugby now, as much as we don't want to, because there's plenty to do, uh, discuss uh, following the Springboks 38 3 uh, defeat to Ireland in Dublin on Saturday. Uh, to, to talk to one of the most insightful people in rugby, author, writer, and indeed uh, SFM broadcaster, Craig Ray's on the line. Craig, thanks for joining us. Uh, good evening to you. Thanks, Roy. Thanks for having me. Uh, always good to chat to you, but. Uh, Alistair Katsia's remaining time as Springbok coach can be counted in weeks, not months. Tell us more. Well, that's uh, according to some sources and uh, inside information I have. I think after that humiliating loss, it was just a bridge too far. And I understand that the uh, sorry, South African Rugby Exco is going to meet in December and that's going to be that. And they're going to ratify the termination of his contract. And, you know, he'll be moving on. Um, you know, whether or not. They go through the sort of, you know, it's SA Rugby three weeks, that's about a month away. <laughs> a lot could change yeah. in a month in South African Rugby. And, you know, I think last year there was a big groundswell, even at the boardroom level, to get rid of Alistair after the year. Uh, it's an Italian loss. And, yeah, when the crunch came at Exco level, they decided to give him one more year. But I think, uh, by all accounts, and I've spoken to several people within the uh, upper echelons of rugby over the last 48 hours or so, and there's a real feeling that, uh, you know, this is now the end because, you know, 
despite all the talk of the box being better this year, if we're brutally honest, you know, they haven't won a game since August. Uh, they're now five matches winless. Okay, they've only lost three matches this year, but, mm. you know, they've had some humiliating losses, 57-0 to the All Blacks and 38-3 to Ireland. Uh, you know, and the only teams I've really beaten were a poor France and a poor Argentina. Um, so, uh, yeah, have the Springboks really taken it to another level this year? I'd argue they haven't. And if you look at that performance against Ireland, you'd have to say there was nothing there uh, that could indicate a team on the app. It, it really looked, they looked rudderless, they looked leaderless, they looked clueless. Mm. And, you know, the buck's got to stop somewhere. And obviously the players are culpable in this too, Dwayne. They're not, yes, yeah. um, they're not blameless. But, you know, the, the environment and the atmosphere, it all starts at the top. And if that's not being created by the coach, then there's some serious problems in the camp. Yeah, I suppose I mean, we're having similar issues, I suppose, in, in soccer as well, where, you know, coaches are being blamed, players are being blamed, management is being blamed, administration is being blamed, the, the, the football association is being blamed. I suppose it's similar with, uh, with rugby as well, and, and indeed with many uh, sporting codes, and not just in South Africa as well. But, you know, as you say, the players are, are culpable to a certain extent. But when, when you watch the, the, the players on the field, do you feel there's a game plan, or, or do you feel that this is a team that's somewhat tactically bankrupt, if I can put it that way? Well, I would have to say that because the Ireland game, I mean, I spent all of last week sort of writing it up and talking on radio stations for Ireland as well as South Africa, and it was quite obvious. Conor Murray and Johnny Sexton were going to kick on the South African back yes. three, and they're great exponents of it, and they're going to pressurize them because their contestable kicks are very accurate. You didn't need to be a rugby genius to know that was coming, and yet the Springboks looked like they didn't know it was coming, <laughs> and, they, uh, and they couldn't cope with it, and that lost them a lot of field position and possession. They were beaten at the breakdown. Their set piece fell apart. Um, and, you know, I, I wrote in my piece today that, you know, the, the performance of the players bordered on mutinous. Um, because, yeah, losing you know, the change room. Yeah, yeah and, and I was wondering if the coach has lost the change room when you mm. see the players that abject. And it, it was terrible. And, you know, the Irish pundits and former players, I mean, I saw Shane Hogan really tucking into Alistair Stewart and just saying the Springboks, you know, absolutely looked like they did zero analysis on this game. And, you know, whether or not that is fact, you'd have to say the evidence <laughs> suggests it might be, and it's, it's worrying, isn't it? I mean, that, yeah, they can get it so horribly wrong at test level. You know, at the very least, if a Springbok side can defend and play with passion and aggression, uh, they're going to be in a game, uh, you know, it, uh, and they, they didn't have even that, you know, and that was what was worrying. Now, yeah, I mean, as, as much as we say that, the other thing is uh, regarding the actual personnel, the playing personnel, you can do nothing about Jean-Luc Dupree's injury, Warren Whiteley's injury, moments like that. Obviously, Kuni Wurstay's in now as well, uh, with Dwayne Vermeulen being drafted in today. But how do you feel about the, the sort of selection policies, like not considering Jan Sarfontaine because he's being allowed to settle at his new French club, Montpellier, to not selecting foreign-based players who have fewer than 30 test caps and would, you know, would it actually make a huge difference? I mean, how do you feel about these selection policies and, and statutes that are in place? Well, I think I, I, I initially, and I, when the policy of 30 test caps uh, was implemented, I thought it was a pretty good one. It was a sort of a compromise between the total ban on overseas players and trying to do something to retain your player base in South Africa. So I thought it was a, a decent one. I still think it is a decent one, but what we've actually seen happening is that a lot of young players are going overseas anyway. Mm. Um, you know, regardless, they don't really care about the 30 cap. And that says... That, that is a worrying uh, factor because there's clearly not enough lure to stay for the Springbok jersey. And I know that sounds like a very quaint, old-fashioned um, 
way of looking at, at the world of professional sport. But the All Blacks have a no overseas based policy, and yet they retain most of their players because not because they're massively paid. I mean, the very top players, the Bowden Barretts and Kieran Reeds, are are earning around about a million dollars a year, which is about 10 million rand a year, yeah. which is pretty high. But the rest are, are sort of moderately paid professionals, but they stay because they want to be part of something great, which is the All Blacks. And the Springboks have lost that luster. So, you know, even on this tour, you know, Dwayne Newland's come in today. So there's one player, you know, 37 test caps. He's, he's coming in to as a replacement for prop cutting versus and of all people. Uh, you know, it, it just shows some muddled thinking in the selections as well. But, um, so that that is an improvement. I think Benton Miller should have been there. He was fit before the tour started. Uh, he played his first game for Toulon a week before the tour left. So he could have been on tour. Uh, there was no communication with Dwayne uh, about his progress. And, you know, they've only subsequently found that out. So that suggests some other problems in the management, that they're not monitoring the players well enough overseas. Um, and then you've got guys like J.P. Peterson over there who, you know, when you consider how our back three struggled under the high ball at the weekend, uh, J.P. Peterson, with all that experience. Willie LaRue, you know, another man who, on his day, and you know, I know he's quite mercurial, but you know, is he any worse than the back three players they got there? I, I doubt it. And he comes with experience. There's the two names at the top of my head who I think should be there yeah. in positions we're struggling in, you know, in the back three, in the back line. Um, you know, I don't think there's any future in turning back to Mornay staying at fly-off, mm. but you might have got more change out of Mornay staying trying to control the game with his boots tactically than you did out of Alton Chances the other day. Uh, but I can understand why they didn't go down that road. Um, yeah, and I think the, the fact of the matter is, Dwayne, um, there are problems, and we don't have world-class players in a lot of positions just available, I mean, regardless of whether they're overseas or in South Africa. And the ones that maybe are world-class in their positions haven't met that 30-cap threshold. I think of Marcel Couture, who is injured at the moment, mm-hmm. but he's one, and, and maybe Vincent Koskis-Harrison's prop, he's... You know, he's injured as well. At the, uh, sorry, he's available at the moment, but he's under the 30-cap threshold, so he can't play. Um, but if you take scrum half, Ruan Pinar is available. Uh, and let's be honest, Ross Cornier is struggling. Ruan Pinar plays his rugby in the Northern Hemisphere. You might say, well, in a, as a short-term stopgap, it would have been better to go with that experience uh, in these Northern Hemisphere conditions. But Katia has uh, steadfastly said he's building towards 2019 and they're not the future, and he's probably right in that sense. So then... He's got to live and die by the results, and you know it's it's not just about results, but it's about performance. And unfortunately, what we saw on Saturday was not a performance worthy of a Springbok jersey. Yeah, I think it's worrying overall. It's at nine of twenty-two. I think now victories in the, in the in the 2016, mm. 2017 combined. But I, I want to ask you about a number of different things. Time just to, unfortunately against us here, but I do want to touch on the twenty twenty-three Rugby World Cup. But do these results in any way affect that? And uh, how do you feel it's going to pan out? Come come the vote on the fifteenth. No, these results shouldn't. I mean, if, if if we were deciding World Cups on one-off games between bidding countries, then we'd have a real problem. Just checking. We might as well just chuck a whole, <laughs> we might as well just chuck a whole bunch of names in a hat and pull one out in that case. So, no, I don't think it'll have any effect on, on, on the World Cup uh, situation. I mean, the technical committee made its decision based on a lengthy and exhaustive review, and that was that South Africa's but scored the highest marks. Not to say the other bids weren't capable of hosting the World Cup. That's not what they said at all. They said all three bids could host the World Cup. But on their weighted scoring system, South Africa's bid came out on top by 6% over Ireland and 3% better than France. So World Rugby has gone to great lengths to say that all the, all the council members signed up to a code of conduct to say that they would seriously take the technical review committee's decision of, of the preferred candidate as it's sort of um, the line in the sand for their voting. And there's been a lot of, you know, talk 
from Ireland and France since the, the preferred candidate was revealed that they're going to fight till the end. And World Rugby has been quite strong in saying, you know, we've got to do this for the for the integrity of the sport, that we've got to go with this transparent process that we put in place. Otherwise, what was the point of this entire um, you know, exercise of, of a technical committee being very transparent? So uh, I think South Africa will get will get it on Wednesday. It would be a huge shock, and it would be a uh, it would make rugby a laughing stock if if the World Rugby Council members went against their own technical committee, which they signed up, which they signed off on, and which they agreed to. Uh, yeah, it would, it would really bring the sport into disrepute if, if South Africa wasn't now ratified as the Rugby World Cup 2023 hosts. Well, I certainly hope you're on point with that one, Craig Ray. You've uh, you've rarely been wrong when it comes to rugby, although I'm not going to say anything about the eventual score between <laughs> South Africa and Ireland. But, uh, Craig, thanks for your time this evening, and hopefully we can do better against France this weekend. Enjoy that, uh, yeah. the rest of the tour. Thanks, Ryan. I'm sure they will do a little bit better this weekend. You're listening to Sport on SAFM, the next best thing to being at the game. Yeah, from rugby to uh, football we go. In South Africa, suffering a 2018 FIFA World Cup qualifying loss to Senegal on Friday. Bafana Bafana currently in Dakar, though, for tomorrow's return fixture. But on the line to review and preview, I suppose, is uh, Sowetan Senior Football Writer and uh, Mungana Lunene FM Football Analyst, Tiani Wakamabasa. Tiani, thanks for joining us. Good evening. No, not a problem, Dwayne. Uh, good evening. Uh, good to chat to you, but before we talk South Africa, can we actually begrudge Senegal a place at the 2018 FIFA World Cup? You mean? I say, can can we actually begrudge Senegal a place uh, b- before we actually talk about Bafana Bafana? No, not at all. Not not at all, you know. Um, they have a good team, to be honest, you know. Uh, those guys, um, they're, they're always going to be difficult for us. And if you look at the position as well, uh, in world football at number 32, you know, I think... Uh, uh, that's not misplaced because if you look at the quality of their squad, uh, they, they were always going to be difficult opponents for us, you know. So uh, I was hoping that the, the whole thing with the with the with the with the fixture last year, um, you know, was going to be resolved so we can have our three points because I knew that you know facing them again uh, was uh, was always going to be a difficult ask, you know. But having said that, uh, I think we should be learning from such countries in terms of. Um, you know the, the the players they they have at their disposal. You know we we keep saying we we among the best, but if you if you look at the quality of our squad, you know we always hope, uh, hoping and praying uh, going into each fixture. It, it tells you a lot. You know when uh, when certain players are missing, um, you know we 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 all on our knees praying. You know that they they can actually pull through. That should tell you a lot. About the quality we have, to be honest, you know, James. Yeah, that's a very good point. Uh, uh, on that point, I must ask you, and it's a little tongue-in-cheek, did we miss Tulan Serrero? He <laughs> <laughs> can go to hell, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, no. So, but look, I mean, the, the bottom line is there's no use crying over spilled milk. I mean, do, do we use this as, as an experience and then take it into the 2019 AFCON qualifiers where we've already got off to that brilliant start, winning what is potentially our most difficult match, the, uh, the, the away trip to Nigeria? Yeah, but the thing is, to be honest, we've always been learning, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's my problem, you know. Uh, you know, each time we fail, we we we, we look back and we we can't seem to to resolve the issues, you know. And some of the basic things uh, that we saw in in years gone by, we we don't do it anymore, you know. If if I ask you, you know, to 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 tell me if wherever you pass by from from home to work, do you see? Uh, school football, you know, um, you know, at, uh, at, at our schools, you know, and uh, your answer will probably be no, you know, because we we just don't seem to uh, to play football right there on the ground, and that's where we, we can actually uh, have the kids fall in love with the game, you know. But we, we we don't seem to 
you know, to stick to the basics, you know. So for me, uh, we're going around in circles, to be honest. I think we can have the same conversation, say, in about 10 years' time, 15 years' time. It will still be the same thing. And as, as long as we, we, we keep going the same way, you know, we, we're expecting different results, but we're going the same way, you know. It, it doesn't make sense, you know. So people can, can, can change coaches, people can fire coaches and all, all, all that, you know. Even when they fire shakes are set, my opinion was that the problem, the, the, the coach was not a problem. And even if you fire Stuart Baxter, my opinion remains the same. It's not, yeah. the, it's not the problem. You know, we, we have deeper problems that we have to deal with, that we have to confront as a nation. You know, um, it's, it's, it's just not good enough, you know, to, uh, to, to keep going the same way. As one of the things that, uh, we keep doing, look at the under 17 national team, uh, that went to the World Cup and tell me where those boys are. Yeah. You know, one or two. One or two are making it in the top flight. But what about the rest? You know, we've done the same uh, in the past where we had such a good team. You know, remember the, 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 the class of uh, 2009 that went to the World Cup, the under-20s? Yeah, indeed. Uh, With we, Tulani oh, Serrero? <laughs> yeah, Tulani Serrero, Kamomu Kocho, Jali, all, all those guys, you know. You know what was the problem there? Uh, only later we actually realized we were some talented players, but it was like sort of too late, you know, in some way because uh, after 2009 they were supposed to graduate, but uh, you know, uh, they, some some fell by the wayside, some progressed a little bit, but uh, it took them a bit of time to actually make it to the senior national team. But other countries, you know, when you are you, you play for your under 20 national team, the, the next step, you know, is the, is the senior national team with us. I hear some people still talk about the under-23. In, in world football, they don't even talk about under-23 anymore. You know, they talk about under-20. From there, you are in the senior team. So we're lagging behind a little bit. Yeah, know? I mean, that's the benefit of, I must say, the European and, and uh, South American uh, routes, the way they go. That they have, you must yeah. see the stats they have on a 12-year-old who looks to be promising for the uh, for the future. But look, unfortunately, time is against us, uh, Tiani. I'd love to chat to you uh, over and over, but uh, tomorrow a bit of a dead rubber, I suppose, but I'm really hoping that uh, South Africa can gain something from it, although I'm really not sure what it's likely to be. That's it. I do want to chat to you ahead of the African Cup of Nations qualifiers when they get back underway uh, next year. But thanks for your time uh, this evening, and uh, enjoy the match tomorrow, if indeed you are watching. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> thanks. Cheers. SAFM Sports Wrap. SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Now, South Africans, of course, cheering after uh, yesterday's success. Brandon Grace becoming the first South African winner of the Nedbank Golf Challenge in a decade when he won at uh, Sun City yesterday. But uh, really, really an unlikely story that developed a short way down the leaderboard. In the space of four days, Darren Vihart went from being sixth alternate to being around three and a half million rand richer after his uh, Type 6 finished at Sun City. I'm delighted to say Darren Fihart's on the line. Darren, thanks for joining us. Good evening. Yeah, good evening. Good to be on the show. It's good to chat to you. Uh, I just love the story. I mean, let, let's pick it up at the start. How did you go from being sixth alternate to a top six finish in four days? Well, it happened pretty quick, you know. Um, I was sixth alternate, feeling very sorry for myself, and uh, <laughs> come Wednesday evening, I moved from sixth alternate to second reserve, and then um, and then later the evening I went to first reserve. So uh, they asked me if I couldn't just come down and be on site reserve. So uh, I made a few calls to George Kutsi and Dean Burmeister to find out how how the guys are doing, and they said no, everyone looks healthy and good for the first round. So so I wasn't really optimistic. Um, but driving down Sun City when I was about twelve. 
K's out. I phoned the tour just to find out how the how's it looking uh, as far as place concerned, and uh, and the tour secretary just found out that Anthony Wall had pulled out. So uh, so she said to me, "Good news, you in." Um, you teen up at nine o'clock, which was 25 minutes time, and 12 k's out. So uh, I was quite stressed out. I had to overtake a few trucks with my hazards on, but um, they called up ahead and got me into the main gate with no hassles and uh, stopped my car outside the main hotel and grabbed my clubs. Told the reception there that there was just the golf to my car and ran to the first entity uh, and then get off. <laughs> I just I love that story though. When you get onto the golf course though, do you when you haven't had a chance to hit the ball, when you haven't had a chance to warm up or even stretch, do you, do you get onto that tee and go, oh well, you know, I haven't hit a ball in a while. I'm not putting any pressure on myself. Just just see how you go. Go through the motions. How, how did you approach it? Well, you know, I, I was actually hoping to get into HSBC, but I, I missed out on that one. And then and then Turkey, I was quite far back on the reserve list, so. I sort of already set in my mind that I've got three weeks off, three to four weeks off. So I actually hadn't touched the club in over two weeks. You know, no no preparation whatsoever. And by the time I got to the golf course and standing on the tenth tee, I said to my my cousin Jason, who's caddying for me, I said to him, I said, but the last time I've hit a ball, I was in your face. So what do you think? He says, well, I am at the left bunker and just let it fade down to the middle of the fairway. And, uh, yeah, so I did that and it worked out alright. And then I went from there, I stuck with a little fade and, uh, and yeah, I bloody the first two holes and I was in shock up to about 12 holes later and then I started really feeling tired. So I started making a few bogeys, but, um, Jeez, that was the most insecure I've ever felt on a golf course. <laughs> well, uh, it's 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 not a bad it's it's uh, not a bad result for you in the end uh, when you when you uh, realise that after four days of golf that you walk away with uh, what's it nearly two hundred and ten thousand euro, which is a, an enormous sum, around three and a half uh, million rand overall. But did it feel any different playing in a revised Nedbank Golf Challenge? Because we all grew up watching a very different Nedbank Golf Challenge with a small field. Uh, you know, but it's now the penultimate event on the European Tour season. It's a significant event in the Rolex Series. Did you feel that? And did you get a different sense of the tournament? Well, I played 2013 when it was limited field, and uh, and I, I must be honest, I really thought it was going to be a little different, a little less exclusive as far as, you know, when there's 24 players, you tend to get uh, spoiled a little bit, and, and uh, I was expecting a little different, but it was actually a lot better, I found. You know, it's... Uh, they threw on the same functions, the beach party, the Boma, the Boma night, yeah. uh, we had Mango Groove singing the one night, and, uh, you know, the guys really at Sun City, uh, Sun International really went out their way that they, uh, they really look after the players unbelievably, you know, and, um, you know, it's nice for the spectators. You've got a lot of options, you've got a lot of guys you can go and watch and, uh, and support, and I must say we had an unbelievable, uh, support base South African wise, you know, it was, uh, it was awesome to see so many patriotic guys out there supporting the SA, SA guys. Now, i got to ask you about what happened on, uh, on Saturday uh, over the weekend, because you played really well for that 69 on Friday as well, to be tied for second, I think it was, uh, going, going into the weekend. Uh, then Saturday, a little less than brilliant, shall we say, and, and five didn't treat you very nicely, did it? Not at all. I think what probably had happened, you know, I, as I was warming up, as my body was sort of loosening up from uh, obviously eating balls and physio stretching and stuff, 
you know, my face started getting a little straighter, and I started finding my strings starting to, starting to loosen up a bit, which, uh, which, you know, it wasn't as consistent with that little fade and stuff, you know, so I had to sort of try and find my swing again in the third round, and the heat was just, it was, mm. yeah, it was really killing me in my, ugh, I just wasn't in good shape in the third day. I had to uh, just try and minimize my mistakes to get out there and uh, shoot as little as I could, which was unfortunately a 75. But yeah, that um, the fifth hole I played horrendous the whole week, you know, and, and the sad thing was three out of the four times I was in the middle of the fairway. So uh, mm. I think I played at four over par, which isn't great. But uh, but that things like that happen, you know, golf is like that. It tests every aspect of your game and it tests your patience, that's for sure. So... Uh, but the, the third day, I definitely was a little deflated after the... I think I, I must have been, I tripped it up, and I three played it. I made double bogey in that hole. And, um, you know, I took it pretty hard. Uh, I was trying to sort of just eliminate mistakes thereafter, and, uh, and unfortunately, I shot a three over, which, uh, yeah, which uh, which isn't great. But um, but I came back nicely yesterday, which is positive. Played unbelievable yesterday. If I played like that the whole week, I'd have... Probably walked away the trophy, but um, the jar things like this happen. We can only move ahead. Yeah, I want to ask you about that because you know you. you I remember that the very rain affected Joburg Open earlier this year, back in February, I think it was. You, you won the Joburg Open, and I thought, yeah, it's going to be a really good year for you. I think it's your fifth European Tour victory overall. But but a bit of a mixed bag for you this year. How, how would you describe your your season, and, and what's the plan going forward now? Uh, my season was, uh, yeah, I started off really, really dodgy. Uh, I've, you know, I've been struggling for quite a while with my short game, with my putting and chipping, and uh, I sort of found something at the Joburg Open. Uh, if you can remember, I changed putters and I changed my grip. Yeah. And uh, it seemed to only work that week. And then uh, thereafter, I was struggling once again with my putting and chipping. So I never quite really fixed it. And... Um, but it's come up about four four months ago. I started coming on to something. Uh, Dean Burmas actually really helped me, and, and George Kutsia. They helped me a lot uh, uh, with that, with that part of my game. And uh, you know, one thing sorting out, another thing building confidence with it. So once the confidence had set in, I actually really started getting some good results. The last three three months, you know. So um, and it's, it's it's at a point now where I would say I'm. I'm where I was about three, four years ago. It's uh, it's really, really solid now, and so I'm really looking forward to the next uh, next couple of events. I've got the Mauritian Open in two weeks, and and then defending my title at Rand Park at the Joburg So uh, really looking forward for for those two events. Well, uh, Darren, I think your story is great over the weekend, and I really hope that uh, that you find yourself doing well in both uh, the Mauritian Open and uh, a successful defence of your title at the Joburg Open. But uh, I also hope that you're not going to be brying until midnight and having two-hour drives to tournaments the day before events from now on, <laughs> just in case, just in case. But, uh, certainly, no, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> but certainly best of luck with the rest of it, and, and well done over the weekend again. Thank you very much, Don. Appreciate it. This is Sport on SAFM, every supporter's greatest resource. Well, that's all we have time for tonight. My thanks to all the guests on the show, and indeed uh, producer Louis Olum Kalipi, and indeed sound engineer Phineas Ndoba from me, Dwayne Deloca. Have a lovely evening. Uh, stay around because Bongi Guala is standing in for Naledi Mulea with the talk shop immediately after the news. But right now, it's 7 o'clock. Cheers.